For 35 years, the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation has been dedicated to saving thoroughbred racehorses no longer able to compete on the racetrack from possible neglect, abuse, and slaughter. The oldest and largest charity in the U.S. devoted to racehorses, the TRF makes a promise of lifelong sanctuary to those horses unable to pursue a second athletic career. Unique within the aftercare industry, the horses of the TRF find their second chance in the role of teachers through the TRF Second Chances Program, which provides vocational training in seven correctional facilities across the U.S. The program is Saving Horses and Saving Lives. Learn more at www.trfinc.org, and please use the special In the Money podcast link to donate, trfinc.org slash players. Hello and welcome to the In the Ring Pedigree Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornatal. Happy to be back in the Brooklyn Bunker once again, getting ready to jump on an airplane and head over to the UK going to Champions Day, which I can't wait for. Also going to have an opportunity to do a little bit of TV covering the American racing while I'm there. Always enjoy my trips to the UK. And this trip to the UK has caused us to change up the format a little bit this week. Scheduling got a little tricky with my flying, etc. So I'm bringing in the show solo today in just a second. We're going to bring in a guest to help recap the New York bread sale that happened this week. And then a little bit later in the show, going to be handing off the reins to the newest member of the In The Money Media family. Naomi Tucker has done some great interviews for us over on the In The Money Players podcast flagship show. And this week, she's got something pretty special for us that we're going to put on the In The Ring show. So without further ado, let's get to our first guest. For our first guest on today's In the Ring Pedigree podcast, we have with us from Phasing Tipton, Bane Welker. Bane, how are you today? I'm well. Hope you are. Things are excellent down here in New York City, Brooklyn, New York specifically. You are back home in Lexington, but uh, you were in upstate New York this morning. Talk to us about why you were there. Well, we had our... uh annual uh mixed sale in saratoga uh yesterday uh we were very very fortunate in a productive uh steady turnout uh weather was more than cooperative it was uh certainly a chamber of commerce day in saratoga springs new york and uh you know the 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 sale reflected the weather (laughs) sunny times it sounds like overall how was this performance compared to what you were expecting Overall, I think this performance was right on par where we expected. I mean, we were literally almost on the same mark that we were the year before, 134 horses uh, changing hands for a uh, gross of, you know, three million three. Uh, and the average and, and median were, were very close to identical. So, you know, it has turned itself into predominantly a weanling sale of New York bred weanlings. Uh, this year led by uh, Chad Brown sprinter Practical Joke. Uh, you know, he had two weanlings that, that topped the sale, one at 160, uh, a Colt and a Philly at a 150. Were you expecting Practical Joke to get off to the good start that he has? 
You know, from the reports that we have had, the practical jokes uh, were, you know, were, were a very nice lot. Uh, so, you know, it was kind of good to see them. This is the first sale that we actually get to take a peek at weanlings. Uh, and I would have to say, you know, the, the ones that were presented up there were certainly, you know, very much in the mold of himself, you know, very precocious, solid, you know, correct athletic looking individuals. Who were the most active at the sale from a buying and selling point of view? Well, probably from, uh, you know, from, from the selling, the largest consigners we have up there are Elaine Peck and Chris Bernhard's Hidden Lake Farm. RFHF is their moniker that they sell under. And then the binary, from, from a numbers perspective, those are always our two largest consigners. You know, the, the New Hill Farm had a very nice uh, uh, consignment of weanlings up there as well, uh, you know, which was highlighted by their practical joke, Unicorn Kid Philly. Uh, Becky Thomas always brings a solid group of horses up to the sale and uh, had a really nice filly by Classic Empire and had a lot of horses showcased by uh, her first-year stallion, Union Jackson. You mentioned this is your first shot to get a look at some of these weanlings from uh, new sires. Any other stallions in particular strike you as producing the goods when it came to the sales ring? Well, like I said, the uh, you know for for a horse that stands in New York, Union Jackson, being the son of Curlin, uh, you know they were very athletic uh, looking individuals all the way across the board and all the consignments we saw. Um, you know they really had a had a great uh, streamlined shape. You know they moved well, so you know it'd be a horse that I would certainly keep my eye on. You know a few years down the road when they start hitting the racetrack. Any other stories to come out of the sale from a buyer's perspective? Well, from a buyer's perspective, I think, you know, this sale year after year has just continued to grow uh, and it attracts more and more buyers, you know, and it's just a testament to the New York bread program and New York racing, you know, that people want to be there. Uh, guys like, uh, you know, Dean Reeves were uh, certainly on the grounds yesterday and, you know, he was a very active buyer. You know, a lot of pin hookers out of both Florida and uh, Kentucky, uh, you know, strong contingencies of all were there and, uh, ex you know, exchanged some, some heated bidding in, in very, very certain spots. It makes sense. We've seen the success these New York breads have had on the track, especially in recent years, winning triple crown races, being right there and winning Breeders' Cup races. So it makes sense that you'd see – the creme de la creme of the, the breeding and racing world descending on Saratoga for this sale. I was just curious to learn more about it. I knew it was there on the calendar, but this is my first year hosting a breeding and sales show, so I appreciate the opportunity to, to get a little bit of background info and get the update from you as well. Where will your energy turn next? Well, we still have uh, 1,600 yearlings uh, to go through the ring next week out of our Newtown paddocks here in Lexington. Uh, which those horses will start shipping on the grounds Friday. Uh, that sale is, will be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, you know, and we produce a plethora of uh, graded stakes winners come out of that sale every year, not to mention the uh, success that uh, uh, our um, South Florida pin hooking uh, contingencies uh, are able to pull out of there and have success with. So, you know, it's, it's established itself into a, uh, a kind of a must stop on the yearling sales side of things and it's you know it's kind of the last bastion of of yearlings to be had so you know we've got to get that one done and you know and then following the breeders cup you know we have our night of the stars uh showcase 
um, you know, with some spectacular grade one fillies coming off the racetrack, grade one producers uh, that should uh, sh- should really be, you know, a, a, a terrific night to showcase the cream of the cream. There's really no rest on your side of the business, is there? And we certainly are looking forward no, to that. No, there, there, there certainly isn't anymore. I mean, you know, right now we're doing 14 sales. Uh, between five different states you know we picked up california this year and it added uh, two more sales to the calendar so no there really isn't any rest but it's a good thing we all love what we do and uh don't mind uh, racking up the frequent flyer miles <laughs> to loop back to the new york bread sale for a minute i didn't prep you for this but off the top of your head can you think of some famous alums to come out of this new york bread sale that was just concluded well, actually, our and I'm not going to just say the one that just concluded, but uh, actually, you know, Barclay Tags Constitution and the and the Sacatoga Gang Tis is a graduate law. of uh, the New York Bread Yearling Sale, and I think you know uh, there again, New York Bread's competing on the uh, the highest level. You know, we're taking our champagne winner, and uh, there again, hopefully that old school bus gets to roll into uh, <laughs> Louisville on the first Saturday in May. That sounds like the plan. Last I heard, they might be uh, skipping the Breeders' Cup and targeting Churchill in the fall with the idea of getting a race over the track. I like their thinking big. That, uh, that That's what it sounds like. Yeah, very, very impressive individual and a horse. I'm super excited to see what happens next. I want to ask you a question about yourself and how you got involved in the breeding side of the business. Is this something you were born into or did you come into it later in life? No, I was kind of born into it. My uh, family was always in the game. Um, we originally started out in North Carolina. My dad was kind of a jack-of-all-trades, show horses, um, got into the, the sales. He used to break a lot of horses there on the farm, sell them right off the van at Rockingham and Suffolk. So we spent a lot of time on the road. So the roads, though, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a stranger to it. We would spend a lot of time in Maryland, a lot of time in Kentucky, and a lot of time in uh, Ocala, Florida as a kid, not being a, you know, uh, a, a mecca of breeding business, actually, in North Carolina. So in the early 80s, when I got out of school, my parents had purchased a farm, and I went to work there. And that did about nine years on the racetrack. Uh, from the racetrack, came back, had my own sales agency, was selling horses at the time for Mill Ridge Farm. Oh, sure. And uh, and so, you know, their uh, stallion roster had, had grown to the point. Uh, they had also picked up the Thoroughbred Corp and, and a lot of their mares and, and, and their sales side of things was growing. And uh, I was their director of sales for 10 years till being approached by Fasic Tipton and came on board. And I'm in my 10th year of uh, of being on the sales side of things. And uh, absolutely, absolutely love every every facet of it that i've been in i love the idea that even as a child you were developing the skill set that you would later use in your career getting used to uh, shipping as it were sounds like something <laughs> you've internalized and done quite well given the miles you've logged just today and everything you have coming up no doubt looking ahead to the breeders cup again will you be all hands on deck back home working on the sale or will you get a chance to be out there in california we're going to have a strong contingency in california uh as it lays you know somebody kind of has to stay back and uh man the fort so that's that's going to be my duty uh this go round uh we usually like i said we'll rotate out there in shifts but we will have a strong contingency out there we'll be uh co-sponsors of the uh breakfast marquee um so if anybody's out there we certainly welcome them to come by have a little breakfast 
Uh, we'll also have our uh, kiosk and November catalogs on display. Um, so you'll be able to get a little bit of a sneak peek of what lies following the Breeders' Cup uh, relative to the sales scene. We'll be hanging out out there plenty. You'll be co-hosting that tent, I believe, with our friends at Windstar Farm and Sean Tugel, who's so often on the airwaves with me. So, so you got to be honest. When it comes to uh, business dealings with Tugel, is, is he as difficult as he is as he is as a, a podcast co-host? No, nah, he's a, he actually, <laughs> believe it or not, he's one of the best. So. Oh, I know. <laughs> we thoroughly enjoy, we th- I thoroughly enjoy Sean personally and professionally. Fantastic. He had an insane day today. He wanted to be here, but we decided to give him the week off. Plenty of stuff coming down the pike. He'll be back on these airwaves very soon. And, Bain, I want to thank you so much for your time today. And we will not meet up at the Breeders' Cup, but I hope we get a chance to meet in real life very soon. Let's hope so. I'm sure our paths will cross. To close things out, here's Naomi Tucker with a very special guest. If anyone is qualified to talk pedigrees, it is seven-time Eclipse Award champion trainer Todd Pletcher, who joins me here today at Belmont Park. Todd, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy morning schedule to join us here today. Thank you for having me. Now, I want to touch base a little bit on a recent trip that you made. You were a first-time starter at Tattersall's. Um, What was your first impression like there? I was very impressed by the uh, quality of horses. Um, it's also interesting to me that I thought it was a very similar format to what we see at the Keeneland September sale. You know, we were there for book one. I think there was approximately 580 horses cataloged in, uh, in book one, which is kind of a similar number to what we saw in Keeneland September. So you kind of saw a range of horses from, you know, the 100 and 150,000 range all the way to the $4 million range, which again was very similar to what we saw in September. You know, to me, the biggest difference is, is that it's strictly turf pedigrees and you know, we're not used to seeing that at, at Keeneland September. But at the same time, uh, the quality of horses was outstanding. The presentation was great. Tattersall's was very accommodating and uh, the bidding process is much slower there than, uh, than in, the, in the U.S. I mean, they, uh, they kind of dragged up the actual auction part of it out uh, pretty slowly. But, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, it's still a horse sale, and you're there trying to identify good-looking, well-conformed type horses that, you know, that we were trying to make a case could come over to America, train in America on a daily basis on the dirt, and then... Most likely they're going to be turf horses, but, um, you know, perhaps we could get get lucky and have one of them to have some success on the dirt as well. Yeah, and you're talking about types. Physically, when you're looking at the European bred horses, what kind of differences did you see and what are you looking for to take back over here to America? Well, you know, for me, I, I wanted to make sure that they were horses that were correct, um, that I felt like could, could handle the rigors of training on dirt on a daily basis. One of the colts that we bought was a Galileo colt, but he was a half-brother to Materiality, who we won the Florida Derby with, and also my Miss Sophia, who was second in the Kentucky Oaks. So I felt like having some familiarity with uh, his pedigree helped, and I also felt like confirmationally he's a type of horse that was strong enough to, to handle training on a on a dirt track most of the time on a you know a daily basis. He'd be able to hold up to that. I was actually going to mention you brought back two yearlings at the Galileo Cold as well as a filly um, by Fastnet Rock. Did you have anything in mind when you're coming over there or were you just going to go, if there's anything we think can hold up, we'll bring it back? What attracted you to these two yearlings? Um, basically, 
the bottom line is I thought they were both good-looking horses. And uh, with the Fastnet Rock filly, I think you know, there's a chance she could be a little bit on the sprintish side. And I thought that uh, she was a January foal. She could be precocious. There's some opportunities, you know, in maiden races at Belmont in, in May and June. Some stakes at Saratoga sprinting on the turf. And, and, you know, if she stretches out, there's plenty of opportunities that way as well. So, you know, it just felt like she was a good size, strong filly that, that I felt like, uh, first of all, I thought she was good looking. And, uh, you know, I thought there was enough pedigree to kind of support that as well. And you were actually joined in the purchase of those two yearlings by Aquasform as well. So it's the Gunters who bred the Galileo Colt. Um, Aquasform is a, an operation based in Australia, and they've sort of started venturing, obviously, in the, the American market. What would you say they're looking for having horses in training with you? Are they looking for those turf riches that seem to be coming up here, or what, what are they go- their goals? Actually, I think their goals are fairly simple. They're looking to uh, to buy some quality horses that hopefully can compete in the higher caliber races here in the U.S. And if we're fortunate enough to develop a stallion prospect, one that would be attractive not only in the northern hemisphere, but the southern hemisphere as well. So in addition to those horses, they also bought some, uh, some more traditional uh, American pedigrees at Keeneland September in Saratoga. They bought part of a curling colt at both sales and also an into mischief colt that... Uh, you know, it would be more more traditional dirt-type horses. You mentioned possible stallion prospects. Now, Fletcher Stallions is sort of a, a real thing. You've been incredibly successful having the likes of Uncle Mo, Violence. What are you looking for? If you're looking at prospective courts that might make it a special, especially going over to Europe, which is slightly a bit different, is there anything that you think would work? Well, I mean, I, I think that, um, that good looks and good racetrack performance are, are the first two primary objectives that you're looking for and then you know if they can compete at the highest level obviously that's going to get them into a stallion barn i think you know the one thing that's still different about american racing and and stallion prospects even though the turf racing has gotten more and more popular and i think at saratoga over 50 percent of our races were on the turf the value of the turf stallions has not quite caught up to the dirt stallions in the u.s so um you know, I think maybe in due time with continued popularity with turf racing and more and more opportunities, maybe that economic model will start to shift a little bit. But right now, there's nothing quite as attractive in America as real classic quality dirt horses. So, you know, we're still aware of that. But at the same time, we're also trying to adjust to the to this sort of shift in turf racing and, you know, try to balance our stable out a little more. Yeah, you're talking about the rise of popularity in turf racing, what would you say would have been sort of a catalyst to that? There seems to be a lot more money. Um, obviously, the New York Racing Association is setting up the Turf Triple Series and the likes of you going over, Chad Brown having gone over multiple times. What would you say would be the factors that have helped to the growth of turf racing in the United States? Well, I, I think the fact that, um, you know, that they're just having more turf races. So you take Gulfstream, for example, when they reconfigured the, the uh, new facility, they built turf course wide enough that's essentially two turf courses and maybe six or seven rail settings. So they're able to run five or six turf races a day. When I first came to New York in 1989, it was pretty much one turf race on each turf course per day. And now that model shifted, I think, maybe with some improvements in the care of the turf courses. They've been able to increase the number of races that they can run on the, on the turf. 
And then for whatever reason, turf racing tends to draw bigger fields. I think more people are willing to take a shot on the grass and run their maidens. And, and uh, you know, so we're just seeing bigger field sizes, which obviously is, is attractive to the, to the racing office. And do you think from maybe a public point of view, is turf racing an easier watch for people? Or how do you think the public perception is gearing towards turf racing in the U.S.? I mean, I think from a handle standpoint, it's very popular. It's, uh, you know, I don't know that it's easier to handicap necessarily, but I think it's attractive to the betters and the betters certainly like having bigger fields and more exotic opportunities. So I think from that perspective, it's popular. And, and do you believe that it's sort of interchangeable that you're going over to buy uh, European pedigrees, whereas the Europeans come over sort of by the US pedigrees? And it seems with turf racing that it's really globalizing. I mean, the Pegasus World Cup had a turf race added. Um, the Everest is coming up this week in Sydney. There seems to be a lot more money going into it. And do you think that that's a good development for America to go with as well? Because they, they have been going that way. I, I think that's why you'll, you'll continue to see more and more turf stallions retired here. Um, you know, and then I think that's why you're seeing more of us go over there and bring some of those horses back this way, which you know, historically has trended where a lot of our horses went over there. Some of their horses came over here in the 60s and 70s. And so, you know, the, the market's continually adjusting to, to what's working. You've given me so much information already on your point of view on turf racing. I just wanted to quickly touch upon the Breeders' Cup coming up. Uh, you've got a couple of possible contenders. We briefly touched before starting this interview on Coalfront. Is he still going to the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile and how is he doing? Colfront's doing great. Uh, he's two more scheduled breezes, but um, right now we're looking at the dirt mile, and uh, he's coming off a good win at Parks in a, in a mile race there. Obviously, uh, had a huge win in Dubai World Cup miles. So, um, you know, I think uh, when he's on his best, he's he's one of the top milers in the in the world. Um, he seems to be in good form at the moment. So we're hoping uh, everything continues on that path. I definitely hope to see him there as well. I'm talking a little bit about sort of maybe your your main man. British Cup Classic contender Vino Rosso uh, coming off the back of coming first past the post in the Jockey Let's call Club. it a win. Let's go. Okay, <laughs> let's call it a win. Let's go. Well, my politically correct term is always first past the post. I like that. It's, okay. It's not a but he was first past the post. He was. So how is he doing? How did he come out of that race? And is he still on course to compete in the British Cup Classic? He is. He is. He's come out of the race really, really great. Um, very happy with the way he's been uh, not only breezing, but just his demeanor in general he's he's displaying great energy he's galloping strongly his appetite's been super you know he's showing you all the things that you'd like as a trainer to see leading up to a big race so again two more important breezes but love the way he's doing like the fact that we've had a race over the track at santa anita in the santa anita gold cup he was able to ship out there and perform well gives us added confidence that hopefully we can you know do that again and, and talking a little bit about your juveniles, you have an incredibly exciting filly in Sweet Melania. Um, what, how do you rate her chances? Well, we loved her last race. Um, you know, it seemed like she really put everything together. Um, you know, I thought that was a pretty impressive, convincing win. Of course, you're concerned immediately after a race like that as you've got 23, 23 days to turn around and try to repeat that same performance. But didn't seem to be a taxing race on her so far, and uh, we'll just keep her in Kentucky, make one shorter trip to, uh, to Santa Anita on the 26th, and uh, like I said, just hopefully she can you know, have enough time to, to put forth another effort like that one. 
do you feel like it's more taxing on the juveniles to make that trip and have that short turnaround? It's hard to say, you know, I mean, you can, sometimes it's, uh, it's one of those things you don't know until you really get into the heat of the battle. You know, horses can show you all the right indicators uh, leading into a race and you'll think they've bounced out of one well and, and they'll not be able to find more when it really counts and other times they'll, uh, they'll be able to do it. So, you know, with young horses, sometimes they can uh, bounce back quicker and, uh, you know, the one thing about it is, is even though she won convincingly, I don't think she was hard used to do it. No, it looked like a very easy win for her, so very exciting. Uh, another uh, juvenile would be Freewheeler, who's, I'm assuming, still aimed to go to the juvenile turf sprint. How has he been? He's good. He actually breezed this morning, and we, uh, we put some blinkers on him. Felt like he was just a little bit green in his uh, second start. I thought uh, he was much sharper with the blinkers, and we're backing up to five furlongs, so we want to be sharp. And uh, I thought we got a good reaction from the blinkers today, so we'll plan on using those for the race. Okay, well, I'm glad to hear they're all still on course. Um, sort of last but not least, uh, staying with the turf, is, is Channel Cat still doing well? And would he still be going? Channel Cat is scheduled to go. Um, you know, he's been very consistent all year. So he seems to be in good form at the moment. And, and Calumet's always game to give it a try. So you know, that's the plan at the moment. Are there any other horses that we should be watching out for at the Breeders' Cup? Uh, well, we're, we're, we're planning on probably taking Marconi and you're to blame for the marathon stakes on the undercard. Um, They've been running well in those type of races, so uh, not really Breeders' Cup runners, but on the card. No, I remember Marconi. Was it Saratoga that he had, uh, was it a mile and a half win? Uh, your second a mile and three-quarter race there that in the first time, but he won the, yeah. won the Brooklyn here at a mile and a half at Belmont. I he's remember a, he's seeing a big him there. strap and gray, he kind of catches the eye, and uh, all the girls like him. <laughs> what, what is that the, the gray hair theme is that a theme that maybe, resonates maybe, well with hey, girls that, or me. <laughs> I mean I don't either you tell me <laughs> thank you so much for your time and also wish you the best of luck this year coming up in the British Cup and um, hopefully you, you go home with a couple of winners that'd be nice thank you mm -hmm.